The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour, key money for TikTok. President Trump says the U.S. Treasury should be paid a substantial amount of cash for facilitating Microsoft's bid for parts of the Chinese social media app. I think we're going to have uh, maybe a deal is going to be made. It's a great asset. It's a great asset, but it's not a great asset in the United States unless they have the approval of the United States. Major U.S. averages start August in the green, with the Nasdaq hitting another record high, while data shows manufacturing activity jumping to a one-and-a-half-year high. Alphabet uh, taps the bond market in its biggest ever offering, issuing a record $10 billion in corporate debt at rock-bottom coupons. Now, Commerce Bank ignores advice from its second-largest shareholder, Cerberus, and appoints Hans-Jörg Wetter as chairman, despite the private equity group voicing serious doubts about him in the role. So welcome to the program. President Trump says the United States Treasury should be paid a, quote, substantial amount of money for facilitating a potential deal for Microsoft to buy parts of the Chinese social media app TikTok. Arjun has more on the story, our tech correspondent joining us from southern China. Arjun, just walk us through the latest on this then. We know President Trump thinks the Treasury should be getting some cash here, but how likely is it that this deal is going to happen? Well, Microsoft has until September 15th uh, to make this deal or President Trump has threatened to ban TikTok. Microsoft said it's working very quickly with ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, and is in negotiations with that company for an acquisition. I think, interestingly, uh, Microsoft has proposed buying just part of the business, uh, that business in the US, New Zealand, Canada, and Australia as well. So there are other parts, for example, that Europe that will remain in the hands of, say, TikTok, and that perhaps might help facilitate a deal a bit faster. Although President Trump did say that could complicate things, adding that stipulation around uh, the Treasury uh, wanting some money as a result of this deal, almost like a, a finder's fee of some sort. Um, there were some very unusual comments and, uh, you know, highly unusual. It's unclear exactly how that would also work. But let's just listen in for a moment about what President had to, uh, Trump had to say on that and the rationale behind his thoughts. If you buy it whatever the price is that goes to whoever owns it, because I guess it's China, essentially, but more than anything else. I said a very substantial portion of that price is going to have to come into the Treasury of the United States, because we're making it possible for this deal to happen. Right now, they don't have any rights unless we give it to them. So if we're going to give them the rights, then it has to come into it has to come into this country. It's so I think right uh, now, Jeff, it's quite hard to sort of say how quickly or how likely a deal is going to be done, given, I think, a number of questions. One is how would Microsoft, uh, you know, uh, manage to buy just a part 
of the TikTok business and whether that would satisfy um, the US's concerns. Secondly, of course, is who would run that at Microsoft? And finally, what kind of price would Microsoft uh, pay? So all those questions, I think, are still floating around. No real answers to those. Hopefully get some clarity in the coming weeks over that. Um, we have seen some reaction here in China from state media, which has said that China is likely to retaliate, that it has many ways to respond without being specific at the moment. But they likened the uh, potential acquisition of part of TikTok's business by Microsoft to theft and a smash and grab. So we'll be keeping an eye here on what comes out for more official Chinese sources and whether there's any kind of potential retaliation against U.S. companies uh, operating here. Guys, back to you. Arjun, I want to ask you about what this means for ByteDance, the owner of TikTok, because effectively, when you sell an asset this early on, you haven't had a chance to really monetize or build out the business and grow to its full potential. So what does it mean for for ByteDance shareholders, for investors in, in that company, but also for other Chinese companies that might be listed in the States or trying to operate there? What does it mean potentially if you've got a sale of an asset before it's ready to be sold? Yeah, what's interesting about this is we've seen media reports pegging the valuation of TikTok alone at about $50 billion. Now, ByteDance's valuation, again, according to several reports, is perhaps just north of $100 billion. So you can see that TikTok makes up uh, perhaps uh, just under half of ByteDance's total valuation. That's a huge amount of money, and it's unclear at this point whether Microsoft might even be able to pick up TikTok at a discount given the fact that it's not even buying the entire business. So that's going to be a big concern about ByteDance a company that clearly has global ambitions and it will really, really set back its global ambitions because this is ByteDance's really only uh, major international product on the market right now. Now, it does operate a version of TikTok in uh, China called Douyin. That is uh, extremely popular here, so it will still remain a strong foothold in the Chinese market along with a few of the other things it's trying. It's taken and dipping its toes into things like gaming. It's got a news aggregation app. It started also to experiment in the search market, which pits it up against the likes of major uh, giants, the likes of Baidu, for example, and Tencent here, which is very strong in gaming. So in China, I think it will continue to remain competitive. But in terms of ByteDance's global ambitions, and if shareholders were betting on that, that's going to take a big hit as a result of this sale. Arjun, just switching focus to what I mean for Microsoft, this could be its largest acquisition since LinkedIn back in 2016. We talk about LinkedIn, also a social media platform, slightly different, of course, to what we're talking about with TikTok. But do you think there's enough expertise internally at Microsoft to be able to run a very young platform with video content, a very different user base than what Microsoft is used to targeting? Yeah, absolutely, Karen. I mean, it looks very, uh, I'd say, unusual on the surface for Microsoft because, as we know, under CEO Satya Nadella, the company has really been focusing on enterprise, on B2B, on cloud, etc. Now, of course, you know, Microsoft does have a legacy in terms of the consumer aspect, in terms of Windows, um, but that's selling software to consumers. And when you have seen it try perhaps something slightly more pure play consumer, the likes of smartphone, the Windows phones, that was a bit of a flop. But you have seen in the past couple of years or past few years, Microsoft of dipping its back t- uh, toe back into some of these more consumer markets, the likes of Minecraft, for example, which it owns, LinkedIn, as you mentioned, their major acquisition as well, and has seemed to done so successfully. So this will be, uh, I'd say, something very, very different to what it's done so far. But you have seen Microsoft try to build up that expertise in the consumer market, given its strength in, say, cloud computing as well, and some of the privacy aspects and software under Satya Nadella. It could sort of uh, focus more on this consumer aspect. Of course, it faced stiff 
stiff competition from the likes of Facebook, Snapchat, and the rest of those giant social media companies. But one thing Microsoft is buying, if it does buy um, uh, TikTok, is a sort of already-made social media product that has proved a big success in terms of managing to get user numbers. One of the things I guess Microsoft will be focusing on is how to monetize that. Uh, TikTok, very early stages of monetization, but under Microsoft, perhaps you could see it leverage its, its scale already to, to increase the user numbers and figure out ways to make money off this product. Terrific, Arjun. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Arjun with us uh, out of southern China talking about the uh, TikTok story and the potential acquisition by Microsoft. Does anybody else out there feel that this seems a little bit like Dick Turpin land? Um, Stand and deliver. Um, Hand over the goods here because we will not have this Chinese company operating in the United States without American ownership. That seems to be the message coming from the Trump administration. I wonder where that story stops. Just asking the question, but there are plenty of high-profile companies in the United States that have Chinese ownership. AMC, for example, Motorola Mobility, legendary. Are we going to see President Trump and the administration force all of these businesses ultimately to sell back to a domestic U.S. company? I think it's uh, worth asking the question here because the government in the United States clearly getting very heavily involved now in ownership politics when it comes to China. Look at the session in the United States, very strong. We saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average put in 230 points here. And as you can see, the Nasdaq had a very strong close. This is another high for the US tech index. I don't want to sound like the grouch who stole Christmas, but it's very early doors here. And let me just remind you, August doesn't have a great reputation for closing out in positive territory for the US markets. I'll just remind you, our friends uh, in our markets unit have crunched the numbers and put together some good statistics. The average performance of these major indices between 2010 and 2019, the NASDAQ, negative 0.6%, the S&P negative 1.29%, the Dow Jones Industrial Average negative 1.53%. Now, that's a seasonal average on August. You don't have to take any notice of it, but it is just worth bearing in mind that just compiling the last nine years of data, we've seen the averages for these major indices all lower. Okay, let's roll the wall. Let's have a look at the tech story. Uh, Tech was largely the driver, again, of the gains that we saw in the United States. Uh, Microsoft was one of the strong performers here around this TikTok story and the suggestion that they might actually get this business on the cheap. I think Karen asked a great question. If this is still an early stage business that has yet to fully monetize the opportunity of the uh, client base that they're tapping into, this very young TikTok user base, maybe Microsoft will get this on the cheap. Apple also driving the gains here up 2.5%. 
But as you can see, um, it wasn't all a tech story. We did get some weakness in Amazon, Twitter, and Alphabet here. Okay, let's uh, let's crank the handle and have a look at the dollar crosses. Uh, this is um, what we've got on the greenback. Just a bit of a switch around from the weakness that we saw in some of these crosses against the dollar yesterday. Is it a dollar strength story? Is it a euro sterling strength story? I know a lot of the currency analysts are saying this is probably at the moment a little bit more about the strength in, in the euro rather than weakness in the dollar per se. But very interesting, Jeffries, let me just tell you this, Jeffries screening for stocks that benefit the falling dollar in the United States. They in particular looked at multinational companies in the US that derive a lot of their revenue in currencies other than the dollar, Honeywell, Caterpillar, Qualcomm, just a few of the examples that were thrown up by the screen. If you're interested in that trade, go and do some work on it. Have a look at the story yourself. Treasuries, let me just um, flip the wall one more time and just show you where we are on the Treasury yields here. The 10-year note still sitting below this important psychological 0.6%. And let's um, continue the theme around interest rates because I want to show you the Asian markets and a bit of news out of Asia this morning from Australia specifically. The RBA, a much anticipated central bank meeting in Australia, they held no change in the cash rate at 0.25%. And in fact, the messaging appeared to be we're not in the mood to make any adjustments or any easing to monetary policy at this point. We're happy with where we are, gave a little bit of support to the Australian dollar. But I think what you've got here is the legacy of a strong close in the United States, perhaps just the whiff of a conclusion to some of the uh, issues circling around the China-US story. But I have to say the foreign ministry in Beijing doesn't sound particularly happy about the direction of travel. No surprise there. And the Nikkei 225 up 1.6%. We've got a slew of Japanese earnings coming through this morning. In particular, we're hanging on for Sony. We're very keen to see how Sony is doing, not only in the movies business, but we also want to know what's going on with the gaming division, movies, electronics, TVs, and smartphones. The implication at the moment, a 38% drop in operating profit on Q1. We'll see how they deliver very shortly. Meanwhile, coming up after the break, co-CEOs of DSM tell us how the Dutch Nutrition and Materials Group is weathering the virus crisis. Uh, We will catch up with them when we come back. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
Uh, welcome back, everybody. Let's take a quick look at uh, the DSM uh, numbers as reported here. So uh, the group uh, has given us, quote, a solid first half in a challenging COVID-19 environment. That in, uh, in principle means group sales for the first half, a negative 1%, adjusted EBITDA, negative 4%, the adjusted uh, first half net profit down 4% to 399 million. The uh, group giving us a second quarter adjusted net operating free cash flow number of 191 million. For those of you who focus uh, laser like on cash flow compared to uh, 197 million in Q2 of 2019. Uh, an interim dividend of 80 euro cents per ordinary share. The uh, outlook for 2020 unchanged, but there is a, uh, a line here that I think I need to read you. Given the current limited visibility in materials, uh, it feels prudent not to express an overall earnings outlook. DSM expects nutrition to deliver at least a mid-single digit increase in adjusted EBITDA for 2020 compared to the prior year. Let's have a conversation with the co-CEOs of the business. Uh, Geraldine Maché joins us. Good morning to you and Dimitri de Vries. Uh, nice to have you both with us. Uh, Geraldine, let, let me start with you, if I might. Maybe could you just give us a sense of how you weathered the quarter and the first half and how limited the visibility is then going into Q3 and the second half of the year? Absolutely. Good morning and thank you for having us. Well, as you can imagine, like most companies, these have been rather complicated times, but we're really proud of the way that all of our colleagues have helped navigate the company um, through the disruption of COVID-19. Now, looking at the results, um, we have had actually a solid first half with our nutrition business delivering 5% organic growth and an adjusted EBITDA up 5% pretty much offsetting the impact of Corona on our materials uh, business, which means that overall our sales are pretty much stable and our adjusted EBITDA, you know, slightly lower at minus 4%. And importantly, our cash generation has been stepped up by 33%. Now, I have to say that during this period, we've also uh, been thinking about the long term and we've kept ourselves busy with a few acquisitions that are really exciting for our nutrition business. So, despite a lot of complications from an operational point of view, a solid first half. Well, let's talk to the uh, uh, co-CEO and chief operating officer, uh, Dimitri. Um, Dimitri, if I could just get you to focus a little bit then on what the group is planning in terms of adjusting perhaps the cost base, looking for cost savings at this point, given um, I think there have been some issues around the materials side of the operation. Yeah, thanks for that question. And, and b before I go to that piece, I mean, I just also want to to, to remind that we also have adapted our, our nutrition approach. Um, we've we've announced that also earlier, where we where we were fit for growth. So we're not only adapting where it's needed on materials, but also nutrition to make that we continue our growth path in, in nutrition. Um, then maybe to, to materials where we also, as you, you clearly said, we, we have a lack of visibility, um, like many of us. And if you're navigating in the fog, um, you need to prepare on what comes next. And, and we are pretty sure that there will be a recovery. Um, the question is, how long will that take? 
And during that COVID crisis, you need to adapt your organization um, and to be to be to be agile and, and fast in action. So we we already have seen in 2019 some slowdown in the materials market. Um, we started our continuous improvement program. We now accelerated that with COVID-19 ongoing, which had a, a quite quite tremendous uh, impact on materials. But we're not making any regret moves. Um, we want to be ready when the recovery starts. So indeed, um, we will modify a few of our approaches in sourcing and supply and operations, as well as in R&D, but we're not making any short-term regret moves. Geraldine, now let me come back to you about the outlook because it does feel as though there's significant uncertainty around a second wave of infections and clearly we're not getting as a serious a, a shutdown or lockdown across various uh, Western uh, countries at this point and there seems to be reluctance to go back into full-on lockdown. But that said, if we do see a spike and there's pressure on health systems, who knows, come later this year, what are your best and worst case scenarios? Yes, well, this uncertainty is exactly the reason why we have um, opted to really stay with the wording of our guidance. Um, for our nutrition business, which is two-thirds of the company, um, the conditions are good. I mean, as you know, uh, with the virus, there's an increased interest in immunity, in health, uh, and in many ways, all of our innovation platforms are playing very nicely to the needs of today's world, where everyone is looking at how to stay healthy. Now, the uncertainty for us is on the material side, where we serve end markets like the automotive sector, uh, building and construction. And here, I have to say that the second wave is a concern, um, given these spikes that we're seeing in various geographies. Uh, we're also, of course, operating around the world, and we're very conscious of the fact that, particularly in the Americas, you know, yes, there's a second wave, but there's still the first wave, which is uh, which is ongoing. So. Lack of visibility, difficult to give guidance. On the other hand, as Dimitri just said, we are taking all the measures that we can to make ourselves competitive and able to adjust to the, the conditions as they evolve. When you started out the conversation with us, Geraldine, and you mentioned this acquisition of Urban, I'll just point that one to Dimitri. Do you want to weigh in on what the deal-making process looks like in this current market, whether it's still very competitive or whether you're getting much better pricing on assets at this point? Yeah, maybe on, on that specific point. I mean, deal-making is always um, a, a challenge and an adventure. Um, um, but... We're looking at assets, and I think we've done three acquisitions over the last um, um, six months with um, CSK in the in the culture business with enzymes and cultures in, in, in semi-hard cheese. We've done Glycom in the early life nutrition business and Herber in the specialty animal nutrition space, and, and all have a different dynamic. But those are assets and businesses with add value. So the COVID-19 doesn't really discount those businesses. On the other hand, uh, if that would be the case, most probably we'll be less interested in those businesses because these three businesses nicely strategically fit in our nutrition growth path into using ingredients globally to tailor them for local solutions in selected end markets. And I think in that case, we're very proud to have done three high quality acquisitions over the last six months. By the way, Eber needs to still to be closed. So we did the signing. Uh, Dimitri, can I pick up on the geographical uh, breakdown you're seeing here, obviously you've been in China for some time, you have operations, it's also uh, a, a customer market. 
Can you tell us how what you're seeing in your Chinese business compares with Europe or the United States at this point? Yeah, I think it's it's clearly said that that China is a key market for us. Um, it's about uh, over a billion um, US dollar sales. Um, what we have seen initially was a slowdown, obviously in Q1 when COVID hit first, um, but we also seen strong recovery. Um, and what we see now in the nutrition business is is quite a strong recovery going forward. However, for the automotive area. Um, we've seen that it's stabilizing. So obviously operations are back on track, but they're still at levels below pre-COVID level. So you've seen an uptake, you've seen a recovery, but it's too early to say that we come back to business before pre-COVID. So if China is a sort of a first signal on what's going to happen for recovery in Europe and the US, um, I would say it's still too early to tell, but that it will be a fast recovery, especially for automotive, I will be very doubtful. I think it will be a, a long recovery time. Mm. And Geraldine, let me just wrap up with you. Um, obviously, the market is very sensitive to the question of financial strength. Just give us a, an insight into your thinking as to if we continue to see uh, outbreaks and a second wave coming into the winter, what that means for how you manage reserves. Yeah, this is a critical topic, without doubt. <clears throat> I mean, we had the benefit of coming into the crisis with a really strong balance sheet, which is how we were able to finance our acquisition. And I have to say, we were able to place a one billion bond in June at very nice interest rates as well. So the market has been open at times to help uh, fund. Having said that, it's so important to have decent reserves and to try and be consistent with your capital allocation. So in our case, we want to continue to look into the mid to long term, funding our innovation projects, also funding some of these strategically relevant uh, acquisitions. And as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, we want to honor our dividend um, because we are in a position to do so. So we will be paying an interim dividend uh, in the month of August. But having the right reserves is, is critical at this time. And I think you also said in your introduction that there's a keen eye on cash generation. And in a crisis, cash is king. So cash generation is a big focus for us. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.